Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio podcast, session number two. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of freelance recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. All right. Thanks, Chuck. Thanks for that great intro. And welcome, everybody, to session number two of the Working Class Audio podcast. If you haven't heard session number one, well, you want to get the lowdown. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, become a subscriber, and you can stay abreast of the blog and the podcast as it comes out. So make sure you do that. We're also on Twitter, working, no, work class audio. There we go. Work class at work class audio. And we're at Facebook, facebook.com slash working class audio. So do the social media tour, Twitter, Facebook. Make sure you subscribe there on iTunes, the de facto place that people seem to get the podcasts these days. Very excited today. I have on the line here in a moment, we'll speak to uh, Laura Dean. Laura is a recording engineer, freelance recording engineer in the Bay Area. I know her through her work at Women's Audio Mission and Tiny Telephone, but as I'm sure she'll let us know, she works all over the Bay Area. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet, easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might've met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might've heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You can talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link. 
book me in for an hour on a Zoom call and we will discuss your particular situation and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we could sit down and chat, coffee's in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. Without further ado, welcome Laura Dean to Working Class Audio. How are you this morning? I'm fabulous. How are you? Uh, I'm awake. I've had two cups of coffee <laughs> and I have a bulldog at my feet who is probably going to start snoring at any moment. So I have a chihuahua at my feet who is probably going to start growling at me if I make any loud noises. So Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do now, and then take us through how you got into what you do now. Okay. Yeah. So I am a recording engineer working in San Francisco. Uh, primarily, I am freelance. I work a lot at Tiny Telephone. I work a lot at Women's Audio Mission. I sometimes do stuff from home when the studio is not required. And um, yeah, I work with a pretty diverse, I would say, range of artists and sometimes even stuff like, you know, audiobook recording and things like that, sound scores for um, dance. Um, but I do do a lot of like indie rock and local bands as well. So, and I guess I got started, uh, I was playing in a lot of bands as a young person. I got interested in recording the music that my bands were playing and the music that I was writing. Um, so I got started actually probably when I was about 15 and I, I ended up with an eight track and a microphone and I was recording a bunch of stuff. And I actually tried to get internships at studios at that age. And they were all just basically like, you have to go to school first, like go to college and call us later. Um, so then that's what I did. So I went to school for recording and and then probably called those same studios in Atlanta and got an internship. So, yeah. What school did you go to? I started at Georgia State University and I finished at uh, Middle Tennessee State University. And what was your degree in? Mass communications with a focus in uh, recording technologies or whatever. I don't remember the technical name for it, but recording. <laughs> uh -huh. Do you feel like that that degree really helped you from a, an understanding of the technical or did you already have a good grasp of that to begin with? Um, you know, it's strange because I feel like a lot of engineers don't go to school for recording and a lot of really, really great people um, have been very successful and not had degrees in it. I think that it was really useful for me in a lot of ways. And I think that um, there's a lot of uh, sort of like physics and math concepts that have provided insight for me into situations where I wouldn't have otherwise had that. Um, but I also think that like with any schooling, you really have to put some of the theory aside and stay really focused on what you're actually hearing. So I think that some people get really caught up in like, oh, this gear is supposed to sound this way or this microphone is supposed to be amazing, so I should use it. Whereas like sometimes you have to put that aside and, and really pay attention to like, is this actually working and does this actually sound good? Um, so yeah, I mean, I think school is great. I don't think it's absolutely necessary. Um, but I, you know, I think I got into it so early that I ended up going to school for it for that reason, but I don't necessarily think that's like the path you have to take. Now you're not an electrical engineer, but I do see from your Facebook post that you are currently working on 
or helping with the restoration of, of an old Neve console for tiny telephone. Mm-hmm. So where did that technical ability come from to get inside a console or to get inside of a, a piece of gear? Um, that definitely came out of necessity. Um, I probably had a semester in electrical engineering, um, which I remember like almost none of. And uh, mostly it was just like, hey, you know, um, like when I was at MTSU, for example, all three studios um, underwent like a shift from uh, 888s to 192s. And all of the wiring, you know, it's like quarter inch to D sub or whatever. And so like, I just ended up helping out on a a lot of those projects and basically learned everything that I know about that stuff just from like, hey, we have to rewire all this stuff. And so I kind of learned on the go as far as that, that side of things go. You know, I know you record bands. I know that you, you're working out of Tiny Telephone. That's Is that primarily the studio that you work out of? It really does change. It shifts around a bit. Like when I first uh, moved to San Francisco in 2007, I was at Hyde Street for a number of years um, in Studio C as well as um, A and D sometimes. And then, um, then I kind of started unofficially kind of being a house engineer at Tiny Telephone for a few years. And then I... Um, was it women's audio mission for a few years? And then I kind of, I don't know, like I would say I'm, I'm mostly working out of there right now, but in the past, um, few years, I've done a lot of stuff at women's audio mission also. So, yeah. So you're bouncing around and and working at different places. I, I definitely like to go to wherever is going to serve the artist most and that just changes, you know. Does that lean more towards the budget side of things or does that lean more towards the technological side or the 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 space requirements? Um for sure like the budget's always a concern. I like to go to a space that will serve people the most um that they can afford. Um like I'll I'll record anyone anywhere. <laughs> um but like <laughs> if it's going to sound much better for them to go somewhere and they're worried about money, like I do really like to have a conversation about that. Cause sometimes people are like kind of irrationally afraid of that. Or they're like, can we get it done in time? Or is, you know, do we have to book like extra days or whatever? Um, but I do like to have conversations about that. Cause I, I think that like, there's so much technology out there and people are so, um, into recording at home these days, which I think is, it's cool. It's totally great. Like I come from DIY punk like roots and I totally get that. Um, but I also think that a good microphone and, and good gear and a, and a good room and a good space and good acoustics will really go far for people. So I do like to try and have that conversation, um, within the means of someone's budget. With regards to money, do you, do you find that uncomfortable to talk about money with clients or, or not? No, I don't think it's uncomfortable. I mean, I think what I like to find out first is like, does somebody have like a a very hard limit on their budget or is it flexible? And then we go from there. And then, you know, like I, I try and maximize, like, like I try and find out what their budget is first. And then I like to have a conversation about how we can maximize that. And sometimes that means like, you know, basics get done in the studio and maybe some stuff they do at home. Um, that's not that common, but when it comes up, that's the conversation I think. Do you have a recording setup at home? I do have a small one, um, but I tend to not really use it that often. I I do like edit, like, for example, if somebody needs to like, you know, if they're doing a whole record and they want to 
they want to do vocal tuning or whatever, like that doesn't have to be done in a studio, you know, so I can do that stuff at home or like vocal comping or whatever. But Tiny is known as a more analog uh, focused studio, although there are Pro Tools rigs there. Mm -hmm. Could you give me a, like a percentage of, of not necessarily from Tiny, but in your work and what you do, what's the percentage of analog versus, and we'll just say Pro Tools instead of digital, because I'm <laughs> sure you're on Pro Tools. Yeah. Um, but uh, what, what percentage do you think is your workload with regards to that? Like tape versus Pro Tools? Yeah, tape versus Pro Tools. I mean, it depends. Like some, some sessions are hybrids. Like I just did a hybrid of basics and then overdubs in Pro Tools. But um, probably like, I don't know, 60% tape maybe. Wow, that's that's a bigger percentage than I would have imagined. Mm -hmm. It really does sound good. <laughs> I mean, I feel like... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does sound good, yeah. It's, it's you know, and actually I had a chance. Um, I was just working on Megan Slankard's record and um, we were in the B room to start and we were on tape. And then I moved to the A room to do transfers and like between the A and the B room, even just like going between consoles, like it really is a huge difference. Like that Neve sounds amazing. And then going, like listening to vocals that we did on Pro Tools versus tape, it was like, yes, there's this thing that you don't get anywhere else that I can hear in this vocal recording that just sounds really good to me, you know? So it's like, if if that is within the limits of, of somebody's project, I I will totally advocate for it. For sure. What other kinds of work do you do other than recording bands? Tell us about that. I've done, I've worked with um, a dancer named Sean Dorsey for probably, gosh, I don't know, at least five or six years at this point. Um, and he does really incredible uh, work. Um, and basically, like, third, you know, between like one and two hour dance performances that he choreographs and writes. And then he comes into the studio um, and basically just constructs these narrative uh, pieces that tell the story that goes with these dances. Um, and there's usually some kind of music behind it um, often. And so we just construct these giant like sound scores for these dances that he puts on. So um, I do a lot of that. I've done a few audio books. I've done a few voiceover things. Um, but I definitely would say I'm pr primarily recording music. Do you do those other things out of necessity or just because they come up and you're like, yeah, sure, I'll do that? Yeah, they come up. I mean, Sean's, Sean's a really amazing artist and I definitely work with him because I love what he does. And um, I also work with his wife, who's a singer-songwriter. Um, and so... I definitely do those projects because I'm I'm just really into what they're doing as artists. But um, voiceover stuff, I mean, voiceover stuff is a little, I get a little crazy if I only have to set up one microphone because, like, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm, like, not doing something. Like, I feel like I'm missing, like, I'm used to, like, the stress of, like, you know, basics, you know, like, putting up a ton of mics. And so I feel a little weird just, like, I'm I'm kind of into bands. Like I'm I'm into like the the craziness and chaos of recording bands. <laughs> Do you feel like you're getting off easy if you only have to set up one mic for a voiceover? I I feel like I'm going crazy. Like it's to me I'm just like, "All right, what now?" Like <laughs> I don't know what to do with myself. I like want something to break. I don't know. <laughs> no, I I'm 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 into it. It's it's really fun to like work with people on delivery and um editing. I don't know. It's fun. Voiceover stuff is cool. What do you find challenging about the 
you know, the work part of it, uh, as far as the business, like surviving, I mean, San Francisco is an expensive place to live. How do you essentially survive in a, in a city like San Francisco, uh, doing what you do? Um, I am just constantly working. I definitely don't have a ton of extra income, you know, to spend on whatever else. Um, I'm pretty self-contained in my like needs as far as expenses. I don't really like go out a lot, um, for, you know, food, like, I don't know. So it's definitely like I'm working all the time and I'm not spending a lot of money and I'm spending most of my money on rent and I just try and limit whatever else expenses that I have. And yeah, I mean, it's definitely getting a lot harder to stay in San Francisco because of the rent. And I do think about moving a lot. Um, But it's also really hard because like, you know, this is where all of my work is. This is where all my clients are. Like, in some ways, it's cheaper for me to stay because of travel time and everything like that. Um, But it's mostly just about working as much as possible. And I do actually a lot of the tech work that I do um, helps me when I have like slow periods, you know, like earlier this year, like it ends up kind of lining up where I had a ton of sessions like at the back end of this year, but at the front end, it was just like, I was working on the console a lot and that helped out. It sounds like you're just being a responsible adult and not spending all your income on, uh, on buying gear. Well, you know, that's the other thing. I don't have a home studio because I literally can't afford it. Like there's just no way, (laughs) you know, like I, I would love to have like a personal collection of microphones and like gear that I carry around with me, but there's just, that's just not going to happen. And I already work at studios with really great gear with like John Banner slice is just really like kind of a little crazy about buying gear and turning stuff over and selling stuff to get new better gear all the time and so it's like why it doesn't really make a lot of sense for me to have like a personal collection of gear and nor could i afford it so yeah that's that is definitely one thing when i stopped being a studio owner i immediately started you know getting rid of excess gear because i thought you know this stuff's just sitting around and when i go to other studios They've got everything. I mean, like in my mind, when I'm sitting around, like not working, I'm like, gosh, I really want to buy that. Or like, you know, it's it's a little like dangerous for me to get on gear sites because then I'll just be like, I want that and I want that. And I start thinking about things that I can sell to like buy that microphone. But I used to make the mistake of always thinking that if I get this one piece of gear, that's going to change everything. Mm-hmm. And I would talk myself into it. Do you have those same conversations with yourself of, I need this microphone, I need this plug-in, I need this something, whatever it is? Um, Some, I mean, sometimes for sure, but I think what I've tended to think about way more lately is, is where I'm putting the microphone. Um, It's, I, I, you know, like sometimes people are like, oh, don't blame your tools. Um, But I think that's kind of, like if you have a really great mic, like that's a total game changer. And so for sure, like, yeah, I think about like if I had a really great mic, if I had this really great pre, like it's it's just going to make everything um, sound way better. And, and that's true. Uh, but I also don't really have the finances to think about things that way. Like I'm when I go into the studio, I'm like, what is the best out of what I have in front of me? What is the best thing for what's happening right now? That's a good approach. I like that. I wish I wish that I could think about gear in that way, but it is hard. You know, like I think definitely in, in previous decades, like people could have those conversations and that was some kind of reality. We're like, oh, yeah, we should totally get this because it'll sound great. But um, 
you know, artists don't have a lot of money these days and studios don't have a lot of money and it's a total like labor of love process. And I think that like you do the best you can with what's in front of you. And, and I for sure do not think that gear is going to make a really good song. Um, like if there's a really good song happening, like a really great mic is going to be great for that, but a really bad mic isn't going to make it not a good song. You know what I mean? Right. Like what's, what's going into it is way, way more important than anything we do, I think. So I would agree. There's just so much emphasis put on gear as much as I, I love a lot of the stuff that's out there. There, there is a lot of emphasis put on it. And I would agree that the music is far more, more, more important. And I, and I, I do think that like, you know, where we're putting those microphones makes a huge difference too. So, I mean, I think it's important to be interested in gear and to think about it and to listen to it. Um, but I do think there's a lot of unusual emphasis placed upon it for sure. And I, and I actually think that like to a certain point, and I feel this way about theory in school as well, like if you don't remember to forget about it, like you won't be listening to what you should be listening to. You'll be too focused yeah. on, on the gear and you're not paying attention to something else that might be way more um, useful for what's happening. I don't want to say that that's a rookie mistake because I think... <laughs> I think I've done that as as recent as, you know, the last five years of like kind of musing over, wow, how about that microphone? And then catching myself going, oh my God, what am I doing? I need to focus on the, the person who's singing into it or playing into mm -hmm. it. I wanted to talk a little bit about, I guess, the promotional side of, of yourself. I know you've got a website. Uh, your website is ledrecording.com. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that there's any value, like... Like if you open up tape op, for example, mm -hmm. there's a million mastering ads that always catches my attention. There's, there are recording ads for recording engineers, but there seems to be a, a glut of mastering engineer ads <laughs> as well. Do you see any value in promotion on that level for yourself? I've, I've never done anything like taken out an ad. Um, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. I've never done it. So I'm not sure. Um, I think that making sure that people know what you do and know how you like to work and know um, sort of like what you're about, um, getting that word out as, as much as possible, I think has value. And I think that the way that I've gotten work primarily is just through other people that I've already worked with. Um, so I think I like to stay focused on making sure that what I'm doing for the artist is what they really want and and I've provided like what they need out of the experience and then those people know other people who probably need the same thing and it just like word kind of travels that way I would probably say word of mouth you know at some point when I didn't have as much work um, I was taking a little bit of a break and I actually thought to finally make business cards which <laughs> I have given away like probably one at this point, like I have like 250 <laughs> or whatever sitting in my drawer right now. And I'm like, why did I even do that? Like, I, I don't know. So, I mean, I think that everyone finds their own way of, of promoting themselves. But I think for me, it's primarily been like through other artists that I've worked with and just making sure like on social media, like people know what I'm up to. Like I, I've started to post more um, content around like what I'm doing every day, because I think that, um, 
I actually had the experience recently of of going to see a friend's band that I've known for years. <clears throat> and and like we just got talking about recording and he was like, "Oh, you're an engineer." And I was like, "I've I've I've played shows with you. I've known you for like 5 years. How do you not know that I'm an engineer?" Like <laughs> it was kind of crazy. And that was like sort of I mean, maybe it was just an anomaly, but it sort of woke me up to the fact that like maybe I should be I'm I'm kind of bad at social media like I don't really like hanging around on Facebook a ton but um it did make me realize that maybe it's important that like people actually know what I'm doing every day that's that's nice because it's a free medium whereas I mean business cards don't cost that much but at the same time they're sitting in your drawer but I would agree that a business card is a way to get in touch but at the same time um do you find that it's it's because of those social media posts and your friends going, oh yeah, you're they they have you on their mind. It's it's the opposite of out of sight, out of mind. You're you're constantly on their Facebook feed. So if somebody says to them, hey, do you know somebody that could help us record our band? Obviously, those Facebook posts are fresh on that person's mind that has worked with you or knows mm -hmm. you, and will say, oh yeah. Let me, let me introduce you to Laura. Yeah, I do think that's important. Um, and, you know, I think I try and keep like, it's hard for me to keep personal stuff out of it sometimes because I am really into photography. Um, and I do just, I'm, I'm into my art and I'm into my music and I'm into my friend's music and I'm into taking photos. And so it's like hard to kind of limit the amount of that stuff that goes up there. But I do try to do it because I feel like what I am primarily about is engineering and engineering for other people. And so I want, I want that to come across in how people are seeing me online. Cause, cause I feel like more and more people are interacting with each other in that way. And to curate the, the content that comes out of you says something about, you know, your work in general and who you view yourself to be as a person and what you find important. So um, I think I do try and do that a lot for sure. And I think it helps. And I think the more I posted lately, um, the more people have been reminded that like, oh yes, this is what I do. Like I, I need this thing. I should go to this person because I know that's what they do. And I know that that's what they think about constantly. Uh, do you have a Twitter account? I do. <laughs> what, and do you use that in the same way? I am, I'm pretty much, yeah. And in, in most stuff I just push through, um, like I do take a lot of photos and mostly those just go straight through to Twitter. I, I don't read Twitter because I don't have time to read Twitter, but I do output a lot to Twitter for sure. What What's your Twitter account so people listening can follow you? It's LED recording. What role does time management play for you in in your life? Um, my priority is mainly just answering emails for clients, um, getting to the studio, thinking about um, how I'm working on a project, like... I, I am actually that person that wakes up at like three in the morning and, and is thinking about how I'm going to mic the piano that I'm recording tomorrow. Um, and so mostly I'm just either thinking about clients, thinking about how I'm working with them, answering emails um, at the studio, um, working or just trying to put stuff out, you know, content out. Um, I, I would say like I only default to... Um, going on social media or dealing with other things like that if I if I have an excess of time. But I don't think that that I don't think that really helps my work that much. And I don't think it helps my clients for me to like be all over that stuff. So I just I don't know. I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> 
Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. Maybe it's just how I structure my day and I need to improve my time management. But, uh, you know, I have two two children and I work, you know, as an engineer and, and as a drummer. And maybe I'm putting too much time into social media because, you know, I'm, I'm on there all the time doing managing a uh, actually at this point, I'm managing three, uh, Facebook pages with working class audio. And then I've got a production, you know, professional kind of Facebook page. And then I have my personal stuff where I throw all my crazy political rants (laughs) on and have my deep conversations with old high school friends that I either, you know, agree with or not. But (laughs) what I admire about what you're saying, as far as what you're doing is you're just like constantly thinking about it. And it sounds like you, you just have this energy running through you that wakes you up at three in the morning to think about, oh, what's, you know, what's the input list going to look like? What mic am I going to use? I mean, I definitely, I, I think it would be, um, it wouldn't be right to, to portray like the fact that I have this energy all the time. Like I definitely, um, tried to quit already <laughs> once. You, oh, oh yeah. you did. I totally. You can never quit. I totally quit, tried Laura. to quit. And actually the funny part is that I didn't actually quit. Like, um, like I really tried and I ended up doing sessions through the two years that I was trying not to do it. And it literally just like sucked me back. It's like a black hole. I mean, if I feel like engineering is one of those things where if you're meant to do it, if, if it like chooses you or whatever, like you can't get away. It's a trap. It is. And it's definitely a labor of love. I mean, for sure. Like, I think that there are people that think they're going to like be famous or make tons of money or like, like people romanticize it in this way where like, yes, I love doing it. I'm like super into it. I, there's nothing like the feeling of listening to a mix that you feel really proud of with an artist that you're amazed by. Like there's nothing like that. And you do it for that reason. But it's also like most of the time in the studio, like nothing that interesting is happening, you know? Like (laughs) we're just sitting around and people come in and they're like, oh, it's going to be like that movie I saw where like all this stuff is happening. And it's like, we're just sitting there, you know, like. And the stones are going to show up. Yeah, there's going to be all these drugs. And (laughs) actually the studio I worked at in Atlanta, my first internship was actually kind of like that. It was kind of amazing. There were like (laughs) constantly just like like hordes of of women dancing. I don't even know who they were like. There was like, you know, drugs everywhere. I don't know. Well, that that brings up something I want to talk about is the market that we operate in here in the Bay Area is vastly different than our friends in L.A., not only L.A., but Nashville as well. We just don't have the same system here. We I don't I don't think we have the same amount of studios as Nashville or Los Mm -hmm. Angeles. We just aren't that kind of a mm-hmm. hub as those two places. Do, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. I actually, um, so I started uh, at Georgia State, as I mentioned, which is in Atlanta, Georgia, which is where I'm from. And uh, the first studio I worked at, Zach Recording, uh, 
was mostly rented out by Interscope um, artists and producers. And that was just, it was a totally different scene. Um, And I, after graduating from MTSU, I was just about ready to move back there and keep working there on, on projects like that. But I just loved San Francisco so much. And I know that I, like, I knew that I needed to live here, um, that I made the choice to move here. And I, I definitely don't think it's where people should necessarily move if they're trying to, to have a career in audio. I don't think it's a bad decision. I think that you can totally make it work here, but I think that other cities are definitely, um, I mean, at least as far as label sessions and label work and that kind of thing. But um, I feel like San Francisco is a little more like, you know, you're going to be working with local artists more often than you'll be working with somebody that's well known. But I'm also really into that. Like, I really like working with people who I, I don't know. I like working with local bands a lot. Like, I definitely came from a music scene like I said, like DIY kind of punk music scene where like, that's just what people were doing. And, um, you know, they had other jobs and I don't know. I think it's cool. I find it nice because you, you don't have to deal with a label per se and you get paid. Uh, you don't have to wait 60 days to get paid. Well, I guess it depends on your arrangement with the artist. Um, I mean, I, I certainly have certain artists that I've worked with for a number of years that say, Hey, can I pay you in two weeks? Or can I pay you in, you know, at the end of mm-hmm. the month that I completely a hundred percent trust. And they always come mm-hmm. through and, and do the right thing. Dealing with labels and dealing with uh, all that comes with working with artists who are on labels uh, definitely has, I don't know, it can be a little bit of a challenge. And you kind of cut out the middle middleman when you go with a self-financed band. I think that's, I mean, t- to me, it seems like that's, tr- you know, more and more kind of the trend. And I think like the, you know, direct to artist kind of um, format is really cool. And I like that people have more control over their art. Like, I, I kind of think it's nice that they're not answering to a producer or they're not answering to a label. It's like they get to do their thing in the way that most represents what they're trying to put out. Before we wrap up, I want to talk about uh, that. We There's a lot of great bands here in the Bay Area, a lot of very talented people, but at the same time, there's a lot of knuckleheads too. Do you ever deal with anything just so absurd that you have to fire a client or that you just are like, I can't work on this person's next record. It's just killing me. Yeah, um, I've definitely, um, I think I fired myself probably twice. <laughs> you fired yourself. Well, I okay. mean, like I, I fired, you know, I fired the client or fired myself off the session or whatever. But um, uh, I think that the o- the only time I will do that actually is when the person that I'm working with um, lacks respect for myself or the space that we're working in. Um, I don't really care if people have a lot of money and want to do music for fun because I actually at this point have worked with, um, enough people who are in that situation that are, that actually have a lot to offer, um, that I, I don't really care. You know, I think that's kind of cool if that's, if that's their path, but, um, and it's, and to me, it's really sad when I have clients who, who are working class and are, who are really talented and who can't afford to make records in the way that they want to. Um, and so, yeah, that's sad, but I also don't necessarily blame people who have money and who also want to do that. But, um, I think that the people that I will not work with are people who 
just like have a lack of respect for the space because it's really hard to do this work. It's really hard as an artist to go into a studio and record an album. Like I, it's terrifying for people. Like most people act weird in the studio because they're totally terrified of what's happening. And I get that. Like you're coming in and you're like putting everything on the line to like express something that's extremely vulnerable and, and precious to you. And then you know that like you're putting it out there and people will judge you. And that's like a terrifying experience. And so like, to me, I don't think it's weird at all when people like act a little crazy, but when people come in and and have a sense of entitlement or a lack of respect for what's happening or for the people who have been there before and like what that space means to people, um, those are the people that I tend to not, to not work with. So I will definitely, um, like I, I, I will usually finish out a project with somebody if I've committed to it, but I will not work with that person again if that's their orientation to what's happening. And I've, I've definitely had people like try and kind of like hire, like when I was first starting out and I was still doing a lot of assisting, like I had a guy who, who tried to hire me as an assistant because he was like, oh yeah, I, I'm an engineer and, but I'm doing my own thing. And, and so I got there and he was like, it was only him. And I'm like, so I'm, I'm running this for you, but you're paying me as an assistant. Like to me, that was really not cool. And so, yeah. And then he's like, Oh, um, I got an email from him like four years later. He's like, I was thinking about maybe hiring you again for this project. And I was like, delete. (laughs) If you talk to somebody on the phone or in person, do you have a good sense of intuition as far as sussing out who might be a major problem to work with? Um, it's weird. I feel like I haven't had that much of an issue lately because I think so many of my clients have been through other clients. And I think that's a really good filter in general. Um, but yeah, I do think I've, if it's like a cold call, I, I for sure feel like I can figure it out pretty fast. Like I had a guy who wanted me to drive to his home studio and somewhere, you know, 30 or 40 minutes away and like work half days with him on, you know, and he was a dot-com guy and, and he's like, I, but I'm also an R&B producer and I, I, I want to see what you can do for me. And I also want you to drive 45 minutes and I also only want to book you for a half day and like once a month or something. And so I was like, yeah, that's like every red flag, <laughs> <laughs> like all of them. Yeah. And I feel like when, if somebody, if it's a person like that, that you're not going to want to work with, I feel like it's pretty obvious, pretty fast. Like, I feel like those kinds of people tend to have like multiple red flags. And do you just say, I'm not the right person or (laughs) do you, or do you call them out and say, no, sorry, I don't work for that little. And what you're asking me is ridiculous. Um, I usually, I, I'd say, I usually just say I'm not the right person and I will not give them a referral because I don't want to refer people like that to other people. Uh, my other engineer friends who I also don't think that they should work with. Um, but I'll usually just like with that guy, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I only work out of commercial facilities and, um, or I'm, you know, I'm not the right person for it. Um, I, I definitely would like to say other things sometimes, but I usually don't. You just got to move on. I think like for me this year, it's been about like staying focused on the good things that are happening, the the good bands that are out there making music. Like I try, I think the more that I focus on, on the negative side of it, like it's, it, it's not really helpful. And, and that's time that I've wasted that I could have been thinking about something better, you know? That's, I think that's great advice to anybody and definitely advice I will take away from, from our talk. 
what's important. Take care of the clients that that take care of you, really, that uh, that pay help pay your rent. Mm -hmm. There's some clients that I have that I've had for so long that there's this one guy that I work with. He's he's the greatest, and he's just he's. He's always so apologetic. Hey, you know, I get paid on this day. I just say, you know what? We've known each other for so long. You do not have to have that conversation with me. Just tell me when you're going to pay me. I'm totally cool with it. It's it's fine. Although I do get a little nervous with uh, some first time people that I work with where, you know, they get you to dig in and commit for a long period of time to work. And I do like to have those money conversations like, okay, so... Uh, what's what's the situation? When can I expect to be paid? Because uh, I hate having to make those phone calls of, hey, so you know it's the fifteenth, and um, I don't I don't mean to bug you, but I it's it feels weird when you're put in that position. It does sometimes. feel weird, and I do I don't really mind talking about money just because, like it's it's just sort of a matter of it's a detail, and I try and treat it like a detail because. Um, I think it's for a lot of people, money is a hard thing to talk about, but I feel like as mellow as you can keep it, like the better, you know, like treat it like a detail, treat it like this thing that, that needs to be handled, but it's no big deal. And I, I think that's been the easiest way for me to handle it, but it's, you, I, it hasn't really been a problem for a while. I mean, I know when I worked in Atlanta and, and we did label stuff, like, <laughs> I definitely heard stories about when people used to use fax machines. Do you remember what those are? Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you know, but people are still using fax machines. So crazy. Um, I know. That blows my I, mind. But I do, I did know of people who would fax bomb black sheets of paper to the label until they got paid. Because <laughs> I guess toner is really expensive. And Oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's one way to do it. For me, I try not to talk about money while we're in the session. I always wait till oh, yeah. the end of the day when the creativity has kind of run out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a session's a bad time to do that. <laughs> I usually do it in the first email or if it hasn't been addressed for whatever reason. Yeah, definitely like after the session, like the next day even. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Samply.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. Well, so as far as parting thoughts to whether it's vet, veteran engineers or even up and coming engineers, like is let's let's break it into two two pieces. What are your parting thoughts and advice on um, 
on the recording side of it? And what are your parting thoughts on the business side of it? What's working for you these days as far as uh, whether it's a philosophy or mm -hmm. uh, a technical approach or anything like that? Um, as far as the sort of uh, artist side of things, I think that um, I think that a lot of people get into it thinking that they're going to impose their will on something that's happening. I think that especially when you're first starting out, um, people often feel like they have to to justify what they're getting paid for, and so they tend to do too much. Um, and I think that oftentimes like restraint is what is required for what's happening. Like if you've put up a really good microphone on something, like don't touch it, like don't, don't put an EQ on it just because you think you're supposed to, or cause that's like what you're getting paid to do. Um, and I also think like, you know, don't necessarily put that microphone where you saw it in a magazine, like walk up to the instrument and hear what it sounds like in the room, ask the artist about like what they want out of that sound, because it's going to be different for everyone. And then find where on that instrument it is making that sound. Because if they're saying, if they're telling you this is what it should sound like, then they're hearing that somewhere. Like maybe it means you have to sit down behind the guitar, behind the piano where they're sitting, and maybe that's where you mic it. But making sure that you're, um, capturing what what they're trying to get out of that and and it's likely that they're playing into their instrument because that they're playing into that part of the instrument um for a reason and so i think that like being very service oriented and being very um focused on like getting for them what they're looking for is really important oh i love that that's that's fantastic advice. Um, and I think on the tech side, I think just, again, like not getting, I think it's really important to know your gear and really important to know what it sounds like. But there's a lot of advertising out of there, out there and there's a lot of money being put into certain things being sold. And that's like, of course, I, I get all that, but it's also like you have to remove yourself from what people tell you something sounds like. Like what we do for a living is about listening to what something sounds like, not imagining what it should sound like or putting something there because that's what somebody told you is is the right thing to do. Hmm. I love that. Good advice, good sage <laughs> advice. And and on the on the business front for for engineers specifically, um, what are your what's working for you or what what advice in that same realm of thought can you provide us? Like paying the rent? Well, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Or how to pay the rent or, you know, I mean, I, what's, I, I, what's working for you business wise? I think that, um, definitely along the same lines, like you're not always going to work on a project that, that you're personally into, which I don't think it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's, it's like, if you're a server at a restaurant, like not all of the people sitting at your tables are going to be your friends, but like you're a professional and it's your job to provide service to people, no matter like if you like them or not, you know, um, or if you like what they're doing. So I think that you definitely can't, I mean, some people have made it work if they have like other means to like only work on projects that they're into. But I think that, um, taking, taking any and all work, assuming that it's within the limits of like, they're actually paying you and, and nothing weird is happening on that front, like taking all the gigs you can. And then I do think that it's important to stay focused on like, for me, it's been important to not spread myself too thin and try and like, I'm a 
mastering engineer and recording engineer. And I'm also a, a, a booking agent. And like, I do like 800 things. Like, I don't think there's any way that you could possibly do all those things really well. And so for me, I've just decided to stay focused on like one or two things, but it has helped me to have tech work and to do tech work when um, sessions are a little slow. So I think that like not being too precious about like the work that you're doing um, and being too precious about like, oh, I only do this one thing um, has been helpful as far as just like, you know, making the business side of it work. Absolutely. So, so I'm, I'm basically saying like, yeah, I, I don't know if that's sort of a conflict, a conflicting statement, but I think like, like having a couple things that you do is useful, but like, to me, it hasn't been useful to try and do like 10 things. Right. If you've got a, a section on your website that, you know, highlights that you're also a part-time chef right. as well as a recording engineer, maybe you need to focus a little yeah, more. Yeah, I, I think that's not the place to put that. Like, I think it's like, I'm really into gardening. I'm really into, um, you know, photography, but I don't like write about that on my website because that's just like, why, why would an artist coming to your website care about that necessarily? Like you can have that conversation in the session. Like, oh yeah, you're into cooking too. That's cool. Let's talk about it. But it makes sense. You know, it's okay to, to do a few things, but don't stretch yourself too thin so that you're putting so much out there that people coming to your website get confused. Like, well, what, what does this person do? Well, I also think it's weird when people take on professional labels too early. Like I'm a producer, like, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that people get smart to that really fast. And, and that's a really, like, it's a disservice to, to you and the artist to be like, oh yeah, I'm already an engineer, even though I literally just graduated. And like, I had three internships. I actually got an internship after I was already getting paid as an engineer when I moved to San Francisco, because I knew that I had moved cities. And like, in some ways I needed to start over a little bit and I hadn't been doing it for that long. So it's like, I think kind of staying a little humble about what you're doing is, is helpful too, because like, you know, it takes, you know, like, you know, like 20 years, like there's a difference between somebody who's been playing guitar for 20 years and somebody who's been playing guitar for a year. And the same thing is true of us as engineers. Like we do get better over time. And I think that not pretending like you can do something too early, like that's not going to help you that much in your career. Yeah. You know, and even after 20 years, I mean, I certainly do not know everything there is to know about engineering and mixing and producing and I still assist people sometimes when I'm not working, if I have nothing else to do. Like if, if I have a couple of days where I'm not engineering, like I'll go assist somebody on their session just because like you will always learn new stuff. Oh yeah. It's, I, I love watching over other people's shoulders cause I can cherry pick through what they're doing and, and catch things that they do or methods that they work that just, even just sitting in the back on the couch, drinking coffee and not saying a mm -hmm. word. Although sometimes being in studios when other people are doing their thing uh, can be hit or miss for me as far as the boredom factor. Sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I, need to, I need to get a break from this. But actually being a fly on the wall for certain sessions is just so valuable to yeah, me. Yeah, I think doing that as much as possible is just really useful even later on in your career, but especially starting out. And starting out, like, don't talk in sessions. Just don't do it. Just listen. I mean, you're getting paid to listen. If, if you want to get paid to listen, like, you should be paying attention to what's happening, you know? One thing that I would recommend to other engineers is to talk to other engineers. Talking to you today has really been great. Just 
it's it's really great to hear the philosophies and and the practices of of other engineers mm -hmm. because you can think oh oh I don't do it that way but maybe I should be doing it that way or just really get great ideas and and I've certainly got several from you today and I I definitely appreciate you being guest number one on Yay. this podcast we'll <laughs> we'll see how this goes and I feel so honored thank will... you. <laughs> You're the first person I thought of. I was like, who is somebody in the Bay Area in the trenches working that I would love to talk to? And I thought, I got to talk to Laura Dean, <laughs> of course. No, so, and I, I love talking to other engineers. I love, you know, we've talked before and it's always been great. And yeah, I think it's really useful. I think it's awesome. Cross-pollination is very healthy for for any artistic scene, you know. Well, cool. I know you got to run and, and I certainly appreciate you talking to me today. And we'll chat later in yes. person. Thanks, Laura. Well, that was some good information. Always good to get a different perspective from another engineer, and I always enjoy talking with Laura, so that was that was quite a pleasure. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk, so no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LPUNF. Yes, that's the conclusion of session number two. So once again, be sure to go over to workingclassaudio.com and subscribe. And as I said before, do the social media tour for Working Class Audio. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in today. Until next time. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.